Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast from Discovery Church. Our hope is that this message would help you seek truth and find purpose. If you would like to know more about Discovery Church, please check us out online at mydiscoverychurch.ca. With that said, let's go to this week's message. One story I, I read about is it's the Augustus Moore. In, in 1855, it was fully loaded with dry peas, okay? And a wave came on the boat and, and moistened all the peas and sank the boat immediately. That's probably the funniest story I've heard of the... Because we, we think of shipwrecks, we think of the Titanic, you know, near, far, where, you know, you, but there's like all these funny types of shipwrecks, but that was dried peas in a storm. One of the biggest reasons for shipwrecks isn't icebergs, though. It's ships that get into shallow water. They run into the shore, they run along the rocks, and they get too stuck in the sand because they're in the shallow waters and they never get out. And then they have waves that pound and pound and pound and never let you out. And that was an issue. Back in the days when they didn't have depth finders, they had no idea where it was. And so, uh, so the, the shallow waters were always the most dangerous for those who were navigators. When it comes to our life and faith, we like to be in the shallow waters because they're controlled environments. They're safe footing. You put on your water wings, jump out of the boat, and swim to shore if it gets too tough. It's easy to get overboard and walk to safety, but that's where most shipwrecks happen, is in the shallow water. That's where life and faith get shipwrecked in shallow living, not wandering too far from the shore. And what makes sense about all of this, it's the place that you still have the most control, but you will never know the full plan of God for your life if you stay in the shallow waters. Because when you're in control, you will always choose the easier path. You will choose the comfortable path. You'll choose the one that's more selfish and more convenient over sacrifice and service. You begin to live for yourself and not for God. And when you live for yourself, it's always shallow living. And it'll lead to a shipwrecked life or faith. Jesus paints a picture of what this shipwrecked life is. And shipwreck faith looks like in the story of the prodigal son. And maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, Quite often Jesus would teach in parables to teach, to share what the kingdom of God was like. And so when we read this story now, and and I read it for you, when we read this story, I want you to know that this is truth. This is what Jesus is saying about who God is, who he is. And this wonderful story about the prodigal son. And you'll see one that has a shipwreck life and the other one that's on the way. So Luke chapter 15, it's going to be on the screens for you, says this in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share your estate now before you die. Basically, he's saying, I wish you were dead so I could have my money. Give, show me the money. Like that's what he's saying. I want my money now. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I have two sons here. If they said that to me, I wouldn't give them this response. Okay. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. 
And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And, there, <clears throat> and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer, would you hire me? And the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Oh man, if you, if you can underline this or highlight this in your Bible. When he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired, stu- hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so when he returned home to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. I love this. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick. I love how he just ignored that part. It's like, I've totally screwed up. I'm no longer worthy. It's like, I'm not not even going to dignify that with the response. It's like, I'm going to ignore that because you're totally welcome, totally accepted right where you left off. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on it. Get a ring on his finger. And that ring was symbolic of money in the day. It was a signet ring. It was like a credit card. So they obviously didn't have debit. They didn't have tap. They didn't have Apple Pay. Okay? They just had this ring. And this ring would be symbolic of of the the father's money. It's like he's basically giving. It's like even though you waste all your money, I'm going to give you a credit card back. I would not do that to my boys. No, I would give them a small allowance, and that was it. He gives them the ring. He says, you're back. You get the same status. And kill the calf we've been fattening. I don't know what a fattened calf looks like, but I wonder amongst the calves, they're just looking like, I know why he's getting fed more than everyone else. We must celebrate with a feast for his son of mine, the son of mine is dead, has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. So this young, impatient guy wanting to do his own thing, wanting to control his future, led himself down this road, but ended up being marked with despair and failure because he was living in shallow waters. And when you decide to do things your way instead of God's way, I'm going to tell you this. It costs you more than you think. It costs you more than you think. The right way was for him to wait for his inheritance. But living an unsinkable life starts by identifying its biggest threat. And the biggest threat is this, is sinful living. We don't use this word a lot anymore, but it's shipwrecking lives all over the place. There's a definition up here that uh, we're going to put up. There's two things that sin, uh, that sin is. It's rooted in pride and it's rooted in rebellion. It's rooted in pride and it's rooted in rebellion. And both of them are trying to sink you. Pride. I have no need for God. There are people all over Edmonton today that are not attending a church. That have no need for church. They have no need for God. They have no need. They have no needs. Everything they have is taken care of, they think, except maybe their greatest need, their deepest spiritual need. 
And they just go, I have no need for God. And rebellion says this, I'm aware, I just don't care. There are people that have walked away from their faith. As a, as a youth pastor, I remember reading stats about how many students were walking away from their faith. And it wasn't because they, they never heard the gospel. It wasn't because mom and dad at home weren't sharing with them what Jesus was all about and the hope they could find in Christ. They just realized, I am aware, I just don't care. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so if, 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 if uh, sin becomes your master, then you can expect a paycheck of death. But the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life. That you get to receive something without having to earn it. How many people like that? There's nobody in the room that's going, no, I don't want a gift. No, thanks. I, I don't like gifts. Take them back. No, most of us would say, yeah, I'll take a gift. Someone offered me a gift today. I go, sure, wonderful. The wages of sin is death. Sinful living costs. Sinful living costs. And the obvious illustration in this story is, is about money. He's wasting his money. You know, everyone's got friends when you got money. You're buying everybody stuff. You're every, but when the money ran out, his friends ran out. His relationships ran out. And so he mismanaged his funds. So that's the obvious. But it also costs, costs stuff more that cannot be regained by money. You can't buy this back. You can't buy respect. You can't buy dignity, relationships, self-worth, joy, happiness. Sinful living costs you all of these things. And, it's, and, and another really important one is joy. Or, sorry, time. It, can, it costs you time. It's this sinful living knocks you off course and delays God's destiny for your life, and it costs you your most important commodity, which is your time. But even beyond that, there's one other thing that it costs you. It costs you your future. It costs you your future. This, this young guy sold his soul for his future now, saying, I want it all, and I want it now. And the next lesson we learn here is you never negotiate with now. Reframe those appetites. Reframe those desires thinking about your future. How is this decision going to affect my future? But he chose the quicker way. And it always costs you more later. So many things in life, and my wife could tell you, things that I bought on just a whim. I don't know if you're a, a person that likes to shop and you're just pretty impulsive. I, I can be a pretty impulsive guy, and I'm learning not to, but it's like I can buy this, I can buy that, and I can tell you stories of just money that I've wasted because I've been I impulsive. Bought it too quickly without taking the time to think it through because I'm not patient at times, and it feels good. It's a self-gratification and hey, don't we all deserve to feel amazing? Like, isn't that great? Don't you want to walk out of here feeling amazing today and doing something great? And, and it feels good. But if that becomes your, your basis for decision making, this will be likely where you end up. Distracted from everyone you love and poor in every possible way. 
if you allow sinful living, if you allow pride and you allow rebellion, I'm aware, but I just don't care. So there's another son in this story. So that's the younger son. It's easy to look at his mistakes because they're so visual. They're so on the surface. You can look and see that he wasted his money on all this loose living. But there's an older son where you have to dig a little bit deeper to see what's going on in his life. And in Luke 15, 25 to 32, the story just picks up with the older brother. And it says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants, What was going on? Your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Again, fattened calf. But we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He's like, that's it, I'm out. This guy, this guy, this guy said, Dad, I'd rather have you dead. And here I am, I stuck around. No, no, I'm not going to his party. And his father came out. Love that. Chased him. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back, I put the quotation, uh, it's not actually in there. The son of yours comes back squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he's found. It's a good day. The older son couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. It's not fair. God, this isn't fair. You don't want God to be fair. Around the father, the older son's around the father, but he doesn't know the father's heart and what he desires. Did you know that you can be around God and know his blessings and not be thankful? You can be around someone and not know them, and you can be around God and not know him. Not know him personally, not in a deep way where he actually begins to change and, and soften your heart and change your life. My wife and I get to do pre-marriage counseling with uh, couples that are, that are preparing to get married. And, and so uh, it's interesting how we ask them questions and it's, it's like, well, we've been dating you know, two or three years and we feel like we know each other and you start digging down and you realize, well, they're just kind of looking at each other like, oh, I, I didn't know that. It's like, because just because you're around someone doesn't mean you know everything about them. Doesn't, unless you're intentionally trying to, to uh, dig down inside and try to figure out what's going on, you probably don't know. You could be sitting next to a person right now that's going through just a horrendous time, but we're so good at just guarding and keeping people away. Just going through a real storm. They're sinking right now beside you and not able to tell you because we hide these things. And you, you can be around people and not fully know what's going on in their lives. You see, this brother lived a good life on the outside, but what about the inside? You see, outside or inside, sin still needs a savior. 
Whether it's super, you see it really obvious that that person is in loose living and wild living and those things, and you see it, or it's this inside stuff. See, both sons are focusing on themselves, but one has the outer sin and one has the inner sin. You see, the older son's carrying an offense, anger in his heart, and Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount, screwed everybody up. He said, yeah, you've heard about murder, but if you're angry, you've murdered in your heart. He says, if if you've done this on the outside, but you're carrying this on the inside, it's pretty close. It's sin. And you see, the Pharisees of the day, the religious teachers of the law, they were so good at being clean on the outside putting on a good face, going to church. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, God bless you. But on the inside, riddled. Riddled with pride and rebellion. And stuff inside, keeping people actually away from God. And even though this son may not have been living in shallow waters, there are still coral reefs out in the deep. There are still things out there trying to sink you underneath the surface. You see, good behavior doesn't equal good relationship with God. Just because you're good on the outside, that doesn't mean that you're good with God. He cares more about what's on the inside. He actually cares what's going on. He's less concerned with your action. He's more concerned with your heart and your life and your thinking because he knows if you get the inside changed, the outside's going to change. And yet sometimes what happens is we try to modify our behavior thinking like God wants us to be this model person, but he actually doesn't. He just wants us to be real with him before him and say, this is me. I'm a mess. I make mistakes and I'm here. And so God's like, I can work with that, but I cannot work with someone who's trying to fake it on the outside. I can't work with that. But this idea of coming before God, say, God, I I got this this hard heart. You see, this this brother, he, he had sins of jealousy and he was comparing and he was entitled and these issues were were lingering beneath the surface and causing him to miss out on the bigger point that this younger brother was dead, dead to the family, dead in relationships, dead in his spiritual life, dead emotionally, dead in almost every area of his life. And now he's come back with this idea of going, yeah, I can come back to my dad. He missed it. The older brother missed it. I know for me, growing up in church world, I can't totally relate to the younger brother because I just, you know, I just, I didn't have that, that, that wild living life and I thank God for it. But boy, I can relate to the older brother. Maybe you can too where it's like, oh, there's stuff lingering in my heart still. And typically we're overscheduled, right? We don't have time to search our hearts. And, and because... It brings up stuff that we don't want to deal with. So you'd rather just ignore, just numb it. Uh, yeah, I feel anger in my heart, but I'm, I'm not going to be angry. Just going to stuff it down, stuff it down. And then all of a sudden it shows up. Stress shows up in, 
you're, you're tired, you're emotionally exhausted, and you're edgy with people. And it's like, why am I like that? And you say, like, well, I'll just keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down. But Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite scripture verse, he says, Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, he says this wisest wisdom. He's basically saying, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Above all else, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. Meaning this, you can't have a healthy future with a sick heart. Can't do it. Because this heart, this mind, this will, this emotions that we have inside of us is actually going to determine our future. And so David, the psalmist, writes, search my heart, O God, because he realized something. You can't, you can't actually search your heart. It's God. The Bible says only God knows the heart of man. You can't search, I can't search my own heart, but I can come to God and I can say, God, can you search my heart? Can you test me and see if there are any anxious thoughts in me? See if there's any pride or rebellion in my life. Because I want a good future. Nobody woke up this morning and said, I really want to have a really crappy future. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I just want to be super average. I want to have 2.2 kids and and drive a Taurus and and just do all these things and have a nice house and, and wear beige all the time and eat vanilla ice cream. Nobody woke up. Unless you like beige and villain ice cream. <clears throat> because you, you want a good future. You want a good future for you, for your kids, for your, great, your grandkids, your great, and on and on and on. Because we want to believe that hope is in front of us, not behind us. But you've got to deal with this stuff. And sometimes in church world, we just talk about, well, let's just do this and that and cheer. And there's cheerleaders and, we say, hey, and everything's good. Jesus and me, tweedledee, and da, 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 da. Little pixies flying around, sprinkling. Da. Oh, is it great? Got to get real. Man, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm in a real fight with God right now. He's taken me through some inside stuff that's not fun. And I, I feel like it's a fight I'm not going to win. It's like, no, I don't want to deal with that right now. He's like, you're dealing with that. I'm like, I'm not dealing with it. He's like, okay, let's go. And he's just good at wrestling. He pins me down. He goes, you're going to learn this. I'm okay, okay. And he gets up and hugs me and loves me to wholeness and says, I'm glad you're not angry about that anymore. Good for you, Paul. I had to spend time with him so that he could search my heart, see if there's any anxious thoughts, see if there's sin, pride, or rebellion in my life. And so maybe you're the older son today. Maybe you're the older son that's just like, oh, <laughs> Paul, you're meddling a bit today. You're meddling. I came, it's summer. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, like, the sun might come out today. Okay, yeah, and it's like, yeah, it was like warm. It's, this is summer. It's feel good, good times. Yeah, it is. But wouldn't this be a great summer if you just said, you know what, this summer I'm just going to do some work with the Lord. I'm just going to spend time, and I, I dare you, I dare you to make this prayer and say, God, how's my heart? And then wait, because what typically happens, God, how's my heart? Nothing. Okay, good. No, but you wait. And you wait on the Lord. You say, God, would you just bring wholeness and health and healing 
back to me because these things in my life are trying to sink me trying to overwhelm me trying to stress me out taking me away from joy and happiness and peace and these things inside of me God would you just help me to breathe lighter air let that burden be light again I feel heavy it's not a fun journey but it's absolutely absolutely rewarding to go there with God and to know it's a safe place next week I'm going to be talking about the Father's heart I've called the message unexplainable grace unexplainable grace if you want to live an unsinkable life you need to experience this unexplainable grace so maybe you're the older brother here today and you're just feeling like oh maybe God's working on me maybe you're the younger brother and you're just making poor decisions right now and you're just allowing this sin and allowing this stuff just to, just to be part. You're not actually creating accountability to keep you away from it. You just, you just keep going back, going back, going back. God's there too. And there's hope. There's hope before you get shipwrecked. You might just be in the shallow waters and there might be, there might be a way that God pushes you back out in the deep if you let him. But there's some things maybe this morning that you need to give up need to bring someone alongside. Uh, Pastor Lauren talked about having friends, having people to come alongside you to, to keep you, to be lighthouses, to go, and, hey, this is shallow water. Stay out in the deep. Stay out in the deep. That's where God is. Stay out there. Friends that love you and care for you and say, don't get close to those shorelines. Go out in the deep and explore this wonderful ocean of God's love and grace. Get out there, because that's where his greatest plan is for you. And so I think everybody in this room, one or two of these things are going to hit you. Has to. We're humans. We all make mistakes. There's nobody in this room who's walking in perfection. And I know it's hitting me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this week's message from Discovery Church. If this ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Please email us at info at mydiscoverychurch.ca.